special man in my life uh, this past April in New York. New York, a great city. I had never been there before. And in a uh, New York pizza place, anyone like New York pizza? Three of us. We, uh, this brother and I ate there together, and instantly our hearts were united and connected. And uh, he was telling me about his uh, mission work in Ecuador. And we had uh, been in the process as a church of praying through, discerning what a new relational, missional, uh, international partner could be. And uh, so we began the discussion at that point, like, what does it look like? What are you doing in Ecuador? How can we participate? Uh, Many of you uh, were here about a month and a half ago when we Skyped this man in. We saw him on our screens. It was a a brilliant opportunity. Many of you guys heard that Rob and I just got back from Ecuador a few weeks ago. The relationship is building and growing, and tonight you get the opportunity not just to to meet these two because they're here, but also uh, Steve is going to be preaching for us. I've been on for 27 weeks in a row, so I get a, a week off tonight, which I'm very thankful for. Get to rest the voice. We'll come back next week hot and heavy, right? But tonight, I want you guys to welcome my my new very good friends, our missional partners in Ecuador, Steve and Sandy Younger. Could you bring them up here? Come on, guys. Um, We've had the chance today to uh, all the elders and the staff at lunch with these guys at at R.T. Weiler's and then coffee this afternoon with some others. And I just I speak for all of us in saying you guys are going to get to hear Steve's heart tonight that we couldn't have been blessed by God's grace, with a better missional partner. And I say that because the thing that's really on our heart, whatever we do internationally, there has to be phenomenal people behind the work. And I think what everyone who's met them can attest to is, first of all, this is an amazing woman. Dude, you do, I mean, there's no way, bro, that you ever could have, you know, it was God's grace, brother. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, unbelievable woman. If you're a young woman in in here and you're aspiring to be a godly, God-fearing woman, uh, that's who you need to talk to, okay? And uh, if you're a stallion in here and you, uh, and you want to look like this guy, you're what, 41, right? Yeah. These guys are just awesome. And so I wanted to bring them up and just show you, uh, just give them a chance to kind of put a face behind the name and the stories. Again, Steve's going to preach for us tonight and I'm going to pray for him. But afterwards tonight, if you get a chance, uh, just get a chance to say hi, and the, and the hope is, is that just about all of us, we're going to be taking two trips a year at least, is that you all get the opportunity to see them, uh, not just here in our context, but in the jungles of Ecuador, amen? So I'm going to pray for Steve, he's going to go to it in the scripture, and we're going to have an awesome night, all right? So let me, let me pray for us. God, I pray tonight uh, that you will use your servant, um, Steve, in powerful ways to proclaim your truth. I pray, Father, for... Uh, the passion of his heart, God, that it will come out, that you will diminish the man, and that you as God and Savior will be glorified. I thank you for the blessing of this partnership. I thank you for the ways that you're already gracing us with them and their wisdom and their knowledge and the chance to sit back and learn from them. And I pray, God, that that really beginning now, that this begins for us an incredible partnership with this great country of Ecuador. So we love you and we thank you in your awesome name. Amen. Can you guys just thank them again? (laughs) <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Good? Did you have a good Christmas? <laughs> okay. Uh, three people had a good Christmas. That's great. And uh, everybody looking forward to a good New Year? Right on. We had a wonderful Christmas because we got to be with our grandkids and uh, three grandkids, one in the hopper. Um, Got four adult children of our own and uh, have been blessed with almost 35 years of marriage, um, my wife and I. We were high school sweethearts and 
have been uh, going full steam ahead ever since then. It's a blessing to be able to be here. Um, I saw the back, the back of your heads uh, about a month and a half ago, I guess it was, via Skype, and you guys look wonderful from the front as well. And uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure for me to be here. We have been uh, in uh, full-time ministry since 1978 and spent the first 18 years of that ministry in uh, North America pastoring. And so I know what it is to give up your pulpit as a pastor. And it made me extremely nervous just moments before the service. One of the brothers was here and he just says, I'm going, to, I love this church because this pastor can preach. And, uh, and I'm going, oh crud, okay. Uh, so, so I just want to share tonight from my heart to something that God's laid on my heart. And, uh, you know, according to scripture, the best shot if I just come at this with wisdom is going to be foolishness. If I come at it with my wisdom, it's going to just turn out to be foolishness. If I come at it with my strength, according to Scripture, it's weakness. And so the only thing that changes lives is God. And that's what I'm praying tonight as we just share a little bit from the Word, that He will enter into His Word, drive it home by His Spirit into our hearts, and that we can sense what it's like to be in His presence, to lift Him up, because He's the one that's worthy. So I just want to encourage you with that. We're going to start in Romans 8, and we'll read a passage of Scripture from Romans 8, and then I'm going to go over to Philippians and kind of tie two themes together tonight. And uh, I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage in Romans 8 and then a short passage in, Ro in Philippians 1. <clears throat> and so, okay. Romans 8. Beginning in 14, verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5, and then verse 21. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And down in verse 21 of that chapter, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, I just pray again with Pastor Mark that your word would speak to our hearts tonight. That it would be alive and quickened to us by your spirit. And that you, God, would reign supreme in everything that we do here tonight. And that our fellowship tonight would be first and foremost. Our partnership would be first and foremost found in you. We give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I just want to talk a little bit about the idea of partnership and this idea of partnering, uh, one of the things that uh, Mark is talking about is us partnering together in a work in Ecuador, you as in Matthias Lot and us in Ecuador. And this passage in Philippians really is, it, actually the letter of Philippians could almost be like a missionary newsletter. I mean, it is really seriously uh, Paul writing to this church that he's very connected with. He's happening to be in prison He's going through a lot of trials. He wants to make sure the church back home understands everything's okay. In fact, the gospel is advancing. It's going forward. He is encouraging them by this, his communications that they keep going forward. There's just some things that are happening as he's writing this letter that you see what partnership between a church and a, and a worker that's out, uh, out somewhere else, what it looks like. It's filled with the idea of prayer. People bonding their hearts together in prayer for one another. It's filled with the idea of communicating what's going on and, and that real sense of unity as we're walking together and seeing God work. And the gospel that's working in St. Charles is the same gospel that works in Ecuador and is bringing transformation to lives and families. You see this also in the aspect of of aspects of teams or people that come down. You'll If you were to read the the book of Philippians, you'll find that they are, they're sending people to where Paul is, guys that have come alongside of Paul, uh, alongside of him in his ministry, as well as Paul visiting the church. And you just sense this thing that goes beyond some kind of just uh, experiential thing. I've been on, uh, we've been working in missions for uh, 12 years now. And we have worked before that. We took short-term teams from our church when we were pastoring. And it's so easy for us in North America to kind of get this idea of everything. Because I compartmentalize, compartmentalize my life. <clears throat> I go on my little missions trip. It becomes my little experience that I've got in my book. I shove it up on my library shelf. And anytime somebody talks about missions, I can say, oh, yeah, I did that. 
But there's something different when we talk about entering into a partnership where we start feeling the heartbeat of, of what one feels for another. I've been, Pastor Mark has taken us around this city today, and I've been able to sense his heart for St. Charles. It's listening to your leadership this afternoon as we were just sitting and talking with them and seeing how they're bonded together to see the gospel do a work here in St. Charles is something that motivates me as a missionary that's down in Quito, Ecuador, that is trying to see the same thing happen through Bible schools and church planters and things that we're involved with down there. A true sense of heart connection and something that goes beyond just a, a, a thing I can put into my, my library of past experiences. And that's what this book is kind of about. It's this, it gives us this picture of, of, of a relationship that Paul has with this church. A real intimate relationship. Something that is shared. Something where they feel the burden. If there's a need for things that, uh, that, they ha that he has in his work, they're, they're there feeling it with him. And what they can do, they try to do for him. And vice versa, Paul feels the burdens of that church back home and wants to be encouraging them and, and, and motivating them in their work. That's a cool kind of concept of partnership between a work that's somewhere out there and a home base like here. But the thing that is so striking about everything with Paul is that that partnership it's not just some kind of organizational, one church to an organization or, or a church to a church or whatever it may be. There's a fundamental partnership that's going on in Paul's life that he's, he's crying out to us in Romans 8 about. And that is partnership or true, bonded, deep, intimate relationship with Christ. That is the motivation for everything that goes on. That's the thing that drives his life. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And he's saying that right in the middle of this situation where he's, he's sitting in a jail cell and he says, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm okay. In fact, this is advancing the gospel. I've got these soldiers all around me that they just have to listen to me preach the gospel over and over again. And, they're getting, and these guys are coming to Christ. Everything is about Christ. He says, I've got these guys outside that want to do me wrong. And they're out there preaching Jesus. But they're doing it in such a way that they're trying to actually make me look bad. But he says, it doesn't matter. The fact is, what matters is that Christ is being preached. Something happens to somebody when we grasp this picture of what the gospel intends to bring us into. It changes everything. It just shatters all of the stuff that we had thought about. If any of us come into this whole thing as though it's some kind of religious uh, confession or, or some kind of a, a good thing to do for my family or spiritual thing, it, it falls short of what God intends for all of us. And so tonight I want to talk about that, that aspect of partnering with Christ as being the absolute foundation. I've been reading this book. Uh, any of you guys ever read Into Thin Air by uh, John Krakauer? Yeah. It's a great book. I, we've got some big mountains down in, in Ecuador, that, and, and I'm, I want to climb everything that doesn't have snow on it uh, before I die. Uh, and so, uh, and hopefully those two won't come together. <laughs> but anyway, um, but... Uh, 
reading this stuff, one of the things that impressed me is about the tragedy in 1996 that happened as he was climbing Everest with a team of people. But one of the things that just struck me right away was he began early on in, the, in, the, in this book as he's measuring out how, to, how they're going to actually tackle the summit. It was so interesting that it wasn't the summit that he had his eyes on near as much as it was the team that he was partnered with and began to measure the success of, of being able to go there based on the partners that he was connected to. And that was obviously from a total secular, uh, you know, uh, mountaineering kind of guy. And I think about those kind of things. I think about March 12, 1976. Uh, there was a lady that took a humongous risk in, uh, in this country because she's, she was Italian and a very spicy, wonderful woman that married a Swedish meatball and has had almost 35 years now of going through all kinds of things. I mean, everything from diseases, uh, everything from all kinds of situations, both in church, outside of church, heavy, hard things, struggling kind of things, things that many times would be deal breakers. But there was something covenanted March 12, 1976 that has caused our love for each other in 35 years to grow deep and solid and strong. That's what God's called us to. Romans 8 talks about it in three different ways, and I want to bring those out. The first thing it talks about is the fact that that kind of relationship, it's a change in the way we even look at God. It's a change. It, says, it, sa- it starts off by saying, He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, of bondage again to fear, but a spirit of, of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The second thing that we're going to look at is this idea that he has, he's changed what our concept of what real inheritance is. And the third thing is that he's changed our sense of what destiny is. And so I want to just bring these things out tonight as we talk about partnering first and foremost with Christ. Because that's where he's moving all of us to. First thing is, is he's going to change, he's changed our sense of what relationship to God is about. And he starts off by using this idea, he hasn't given us a spirit of bondage or slavery again to fear, but a spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. This, this idea of, of, of fear, this idea of fear, the fact of the matter is, is that there are many people, probably right here, That you do not want to partner with anybody. Guys are afraid to partner. Guys are afraid to commit. There's there's many of you who have been burned by relationships and you 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 don't trust. You don't trust anybody. 
Some of you have had very warped family backgrounds and you come even to God himself and you have this very, very tentative view of God. A very, as it were, a very uh, distant, let's keep it at a certain level and no further, view of God. It's that that idea of a fear. There's, in the scripture, the scripture actually describes that word fear, phobos, in, in the Greek. It's this idea. It's the thing we get all of our phobias from. That's, a, that's the root of where, where the word phobia comes from. And, and it's this idea. There's two kinds of fears in scripture. One is this fear that makes us run from God. And then there's this fear that makes us in awe. Like reverence. Wow. And there's a lot of people that don't want to get close to God even or close to anybody else because they've got all this baggage from the past. And so for them to live is not Christ. For them to live is them. It's, it's for me to live is me. For me to live is protection. For me to live is, is what, I, what I can control. On the other side of the spectrum, you've got people that, because of, of obsessing on relationships, the relationships have become almost God-idolatrous to them. And so instead of seeing, seeing God as, as the absolute lover of my soul and everything that I am and everything that I have is, is wrapped up in Him, I've made a relationship into an idol. And God has said, this thing that we call the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is that it takes us from being children of, God, children of wrath, and it makes us into these very real, He's given us this spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. He takes that fear that would cause us to run from, from commitment, run, from, uh, run, run away from Him, and He brings us right up close. And the words, Abba, Father, is so awesome. Abba. It's an Aramaic term that is used to describe kind of like the first attempts of a baby to say, Daddy. Down in, down in Ecuador, we have Quechua Indian, and they call their babies wawas. And it's much for the same reason. The, the word for, for those babies is much for the same reason. It's that baby's first like, wah, wah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys were, how many dads are here? Do you remember when you're, you know, your first babies, like, do you remember like going, da, 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 da. do you remember doing that? I, I totally remember like, Looking at my my uh, my son, and, and and he's this little guy, and he's just gurgling and and all this kind of stuff, and you're just going, dad, you know, dad, and he's like, and I'm going, no, dad, you know, it's like it's like this. And there's sort of a little mini competition of whether he's going to say mama or dada first, whichever one. But you want, you long to have that child look at you with his little, like, 
you know, all of the stuff that little kids do that are sort of spontaneous and you think it's all about you <laughs> as dad. You know, you're just sure that, you know, when they're grinning and gurgling and cooing, that has nothing to do with gas in their tummy. This has to do with the fact that you're dad. And that baby is looking at you going, Dad. And excited in that infantile way to be in the arms of his father. This wonderful picture of an intimate, secure, close relationship that he brings us into as children of God. And at the same time, it's combined with this term, Father, Abba, Father. And that word Father in the Greek is pater, which has this idea of the father of the household. The one that everybody recognized, that's the father. That's the one that's revered. That's the one that he is in charge of the household. And so what you've got is you've got this beautiful picture that that fear we were talking about that made us run is, and, and the fear that wants us to be reverent and in awe, those things are brought together in this intimate relationship with God where, where it's as, as it is, I can say, Papa, but I am also recognizing who I'm saying that to. I'm saying that to the God of the universe. I'm saying that to the sovereign Lord. I'm saying that to the, to the one who paid a price for me to be able to do that, for me to be able to come to him. I'm saying that to the one who from the ages past, from the foundations of the world, according to scriptures, had in his mind had sent his son who was crucified on the cross for my sins so that I could come to God now and instead of running, I could come to him and I could be intimate with him. That's an incredible change. That's a kind of partnership. That's a kind of relationship that you can't, we can't even begin to imagine, but it's the kind of thing that transforms us. As he goes on, he says, it's not only that, but the Spirit cries out and he, he makes us into sons, children of God, and heirs of God joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And then he says it this way. If so be that you suffer with him, that you also may be glorified with him. I want you to catch that. Because one of the things that I think is, is unfortunate about too much of our Christianity is we have a Christianity that sees suffering as something that is a negative, uh, sees suffering as something that needs to be, in a sense, eradicated, or somehow we need to figure out how to get rid of it. But according to what I'm reading here, there's a sense in which until this whole thing, this whole plan comes together, suffering's a part of it. I have a brother right now, as we're here, I have a brother, a fellow pastor that's up in Minneapolis that I've known for a number of years. He's right now 
stage four cancer, colon cancer. They've given him less than five years to live. He's about 40, 40 years old, 42 maybe. There's been times in, in missions work over the last... I, I went into missions work, but I would say with a lot, of, a, a lot of that desire, I just felt compelled to go and, and share with my Latin brothers and sisters and all that stuff. What I didn't realize is that sometimes it would come with a lot of other things. <laughs> Malaria, dengue, hepatitis, amoebas. I was going to say up the yin-yang, but that's probably not a little too true. Anyway, but where you end up spending an awful lot of time in the bathroom. It is not fun. When all of that's going on, not fun. There's a sense in which suffering is so much a very real part of this existence. The whole creation, according to what we're seeing here, the whole creation is groaning. It's talking about a groaning like childbirth. How many mommies do we have here? Man, I really would not want to be you. You know, daddies get to walk out and go, it's a boy, or it's a girl, and and mommies are like, ah, you know, it's just crazy. I've watched my wife as she's given birth to her, to our children, two natural children, and then we've adopted two. And man, it has laid me flat. A groaning, a groaning that creation feels. The Bible says that we feel that groaning. There's a sense in which suffering is, is a very real part of life. It's a very real part of us. In fact, it doesn't really even talk about all this. In this place here, it's talking about inheritance, and then it goes on to talk about this suffering stuff. And it's just like suffering, suffering, we're groaning, we're waiting for this thing to end, and all this stuff, this thing to be consumed, and all this stuff is wonderful until... You know, Jesus comes back and just kind of wraps it up and we're all glorified together. And it doesn't really talk about a lot of great, wonderful things. The fact of the matter is, today, if we are experiencing something other than suffering, we're experiencing a little bit of glory. We're experiencing a little bit of, of something that we don't deserve. <laughs> And the, and the thing is, is that that suffering, so we're sitting there, as it were, it says in the scriptures, this is suffering and this groaning and this moaning and all this stuff that's going on is pointing towards something. And the thing that's cool about this idea of this intimate relationship that God's called us into is that it has, it's going towards a destiny that's being changed. And the Holy Spirit, according to this scripture, knows what that destiny is. And so when he groans, and when he groans alongside of creation and alongside of mankind, when he groans, he's groaning towards that end. He's saying they can do it. He is there interceding for us. 
according to the will of the Father, according to the purposes of God. And because of that, I can say I know that whatever happens in this life, all things work together for good to those who are called by God according to His purposes. And the Spirit is interceding with us. He's partnered with us in every aspect. It's, uh, it's interesting. I don't know that I've ever caught it as deeply as I have over the last years when I've been working in, in another country, in, a, in, a, in situations that are difficult and struggling. And you can sense, you can so sense that partner, that, that, that partnership of the Spirit as He is, is, is actually pushing you through. When I was um, in my 20s, which is a, a little while ago, <clears throat> um, I used to run. I still try to run a little bit, but I used to run more. I'm not built for running, in case you hadn't figured that out. I'm sort of stumpy, but we try to run. And uh, I decided I was going to join this 10K fundraising thing for World Vision. And I got out there and uh, started off. You know, I'd been training for a long time, and I was really looking forward to this in Seattle. And we started off, I started off and uh, had some gals behind me that were there, and then they passed me. That was an ego bruiser quite a bit, but um, I kept going finally caught up to them. I heard one of them talk, and, and then I saw one slip back and uh, noticed in the back that uh, there was this gal in a wheelchair that was kind of pushing herself along. And I thought, that is so cool. Wow, I, I really, really like that. That's really cool. She was giving herself to that race as well. I went, you know, finally passed the girls up and Finish the race. That was my goal. <laughs> Isn't that, that's, that terrible? <laughs> terrible. I didn't care what guy I could beat, but I had to beat those girls anyway. But so anyway, but I got uh, got done with the the race or thon or whatever it is, and um, got my T-shirt, hopped in my car to go, and I'm looking down the last little stretch before you cross the finish line. And I see that girl that had slipped back with her friend that was in the wheelchair. And as they got closer, I noticed that that girl that was in the wheelchair no longer was pushing on her own strength, but her friend had her hand. And was like dragging her, pulling her while she was with one arm doing what she could. And that, at that moment, I remember so clearly, it was like God just said, that's what my spirit does. He's going to make sure you cross the line. He's going to make sure you reach the goal. He's going to make sure you reach the destiny. He's interceding for you so that everything you experience, whatever it's been, anything in your past, anything that has made you jaded, anything that's made you not want to trust, anything that's made you not want to commit, any of that stuff, He can take it and intercede with it and push it forward and make sure that you cross the finish line. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him. You've got to say yes. 
Because the Bible goes on to say that we have a new destiny. It says it by saying that that destiny is his glory. It's his glory. It puts it like this in Romans again. I want to read it again. It says, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Where's all this going? It's going to his glory. That's, that's one of the, when we get it, when we get it, guys, when we really get it, it is what makes people sit inside of a jail cell with all this garbage and stuff that's around them and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's what radically changes the way my workplace doesn't become this oppressive thing that's against me. It becomes this opportunity to let God's glory shine. Even when I'm suffering, even when I'm going through it, it's a chance to let people know that I am not partnered to something that just exists here and now. I'm partnered to something that's eternal, that goes beyond this, that gives hope. I love Paul. I love this, this, this chapter. is just like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a football player. You know, I'm, I'm way too short for anything serious. But I was a football player in high school. And I, I love the whole, foom, 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 and I, you know, for therapy. I love to watch movies like Gladiator and, and stuff. It's my form of therapy. Where the bad guys, you know, just boom, 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 you know, like this. And I love the way Paul ends this. He's saying, look who you are, guys. Matthias Lot, look who you are. You're not victims. You're not victims of a bunch of negative stuff that's happened around you where you no longer trust anybody, you no longer commit to anybody, you no longer are going to give your life to anybody. You're going to close yourself off and you're going to do your own thing. You're no longer victims. You are children of God, joint heirs with God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You suffer with Him and you will be glorified together with Him. And then he ends it by saying this. Listen to it. He goes on and he says, What can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You can't trust. There's no higher trust that you need to have proof of something to trust in than a God who will give his own son for you. Who shall bring any charge against God's elected? It is God who justified. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is someone you can put your life into. That is a person that you can partner with and know that it isn't just here and now. It is forever. It's eternal. It's life-changing. It transforms us. It's worth the martyrs going down to their grave singing the praises of God. It's worth missionaries who have given their lives over and over and over for the cause of Christ. He is worth that. He is the one that takes all the brokenness, all of the stuff that makes me want to live for me, and he transforms it, and he changes my suffering into something that is treasure. The thing that's the most common the common phrase between the suffering and the glory, the common phrase is with him. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. He's the prize. He's the treasure. When we come to the end of it all, we get to embrace the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field that you go and you sell it all for. And he's worth it. And guys, that's what St. Charles wants to see. And that's what Quito wants to see. And he wants to see lives that can take the risk and are not all guarded and protected, but they're willing to give themselves out and confront tribulation or struggle or trial or persecution or whatever it may be, they're willing to do it because they're doing it with him. Your partnership, I pray God makes our partnership solid. But I pray that it's because our partnership is first and foremost absolutely solid in Jesus. That he's the prize that we're all running after. And his glory is what we're all aiming for. Father, tonight, I pray that in this attempt to share something from your word that has planted into my own heart. <clears throat> Jesus, may you be big in our eyes. May you be glorified in our eyes. May you be the treasure, the pearl. May you be the one that just stamps out 
everything in us that wants to live for me, that, that wants to guard myself from trust, that doesn't want to embrace you as my Abba, that doesn't want to see you as my father to be revered and awed, that wants to keep you at a distance, that doesn't want to enter into a life that is absolutely partnered and sold out and committed to you, to your glory, that doesn't want to enter into suffering, that doesn't want to believe that that suffering can also be something that brings fellowship with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the words of, your, of, of the Word of God would just penetrate and in, be emblazoned in the hearts of each one of us. That whatever you call us to, God, we do it. We do it willingly. We do it no matter what the cost, what the risk. Because we know, we know that we're doing it with you. And you're the prize. And I just pray that, God, in Jesus' name. And I give you thanks. And I give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.